Today, um, I want to talk on a biblical principle, really. Um, a, there's a principle in the Bible, and that principle is that we never, we never arrive. We never get there with God. So there's always more of God to be had, isn't there? There's more than we can ask. There's more than we can even imagine. His dreams for you are bigger than your dreams for you. Do you believe that? God's dreams for you are bigger than your dreams for you. Um, and God wants us to pursue him. He wants us to chase him. He wants us to find him in a kind of cosmic game of hide and seek. He's kind of put a desire in us. Psalm t- um, 27 says, My heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. There's something intrinsic in our hearts as believers, as those who have been born again, that seeks after God, that wants more of God. There's that cry that the Holy Spirit puts in us for, of Abba, Father. And um, I'm reminded of that almost every day when my little, my little boy Isaac shouts out, Daddy, Daddy. Or actually he says, Daddy, because he's a bit of a brummy, but... Um, <laughs> You know, that's that shout for daddy, where are you in the morning? But God doesn't force us into anything. He doesn't force us to pursue him. He doesn't make us want him. Um, there's a tree in the Garden of Eden for a reason. There's choice. He's put, the Bible says he's prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. But it's, it's like a buffet. It, you know, doesn't force feed us. It doesn't sit us in the high chair and, and feed us with a spoon. There's, there's, there's choice there. We can take as much as we want from him. And um, I don't know if you're one of those people that when you go to an all-eat-as-much-as-you-want uh, buffet, that you, you, you do the thing with the lettuce leaves around the outside to give you a little bit extra height, you know. No, just me? Okay, yeah. But... but with God, it's good to be cheeky. God wants us to be cheeky. God wants us to want more of him. We see it again and again in the Bible. Abraham is cheeky. When he says, well, you know, the angels come to visit him, they're on their way to look at Gomorrah with the, with the view to destroying um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and Abraham's cheeky says, but will you destroy it for if there's 50 righteous people? Well, no, I won't. Well, what about 20? What about 10? He, 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 he haggles with God until God says, okay, for 10 righteous people, I'll spare the city. Jacob is, was cheeky when he wouldn't let go of the angel. He ended up with a limp, but he wouldn't let go until God blessed him. There was a widow in the Bible who, she didn't have anything. And Eli, I think it was Elisha said, um, go and get as many pots as you can. Don't just get a few, get, as ma- get a lot. Get as many as you can. Bob, um, beg, borrow and steal. So you've got as many pots and jars as you can. And then start pouring out the oil. And the oil ca- carried on pouring out miraculously until every pot was filled in her house. And, and, and the proportion of the miracle was proportionate to the number of jars and the number of pots that she had. And there's lots of, there's lots of um, examples like that in the Bible. You know, and with Jesus as well. Bartimaeus shouting, shouting, Jesus, son of David. And everyone telling him to shut up. But Jesus came over and met with him. Um, Jesus walking on the water, it says, it, 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 it says it was, he was going to go past them. He went out on the water because the disciples were struggling on the waves. And he, but it, it said it, it looked like he was going to go past them and they cried out to him. And Joe spoke, Joe who's gone out through the young people, um, spoke last week about the road to Emmaus. And in that story as well, it said Jesus made out as if he was going to continue along the road. And they said to him, no, come and join us for dinner. Come, come in, come and eat with us. It's a biblical principle that actually God doesn't force himself upon us, but if we ask for more, he, he'll come running, he'll come quickly and he'll bless us and he'll give us more. So we're called to be cheeky. We're called to be bold children 
and we're called to revel in our position as heirs. And um, what I want to talk about about today, I want to talk about uh, um, I want to talk about a man named Elisha in the Bible and how he came to a point of breakthrough in his life. And for us, the breakthrough has happened. The breakthrough has happened at the cross. Jesus died on the cross. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated um, the the devil at the cross. And there's breakthrough that has been won for us. And um, there's an opportunity for us to kind of walk into that, walk through into that. Um, I just want to read an excerpt from the prophecy that, Ju- that Julian Adams shared when he was here a couple of weekends ago. It's, it's, a, it's an excerpt from that. He said, um, And the Lord is releasing an angelic presence, an angel to you, an angel of breakthrough to you. For there have been many churches that have come and gone in this region, and it's like there have been no, there's been no breakthrough. It's like there has been no definitive breakthrough. And God says, I am releasing an angel of breakthrough for you who, who will go ahead of you to open up bridges, to open up gates, so that you will begin to walk through into the purposes I have for you um, and for this region, says the Lord. We're at a time where God is promising us breakthrough. There's an, there's an opportunity for us which we can have, but we need to grab it with both hands. Breakthrough in the prophetic, breakthrough in the miraculous, breakthrough in encountering his presence, breakthrough in seeing salvation on the streets. Do you believe it? I believe it. We're on the edge of something, we're on the cusp of something. And that corporate breakthrough that's been promised to us, um, Jubilee, um, is made up, it's like a tapestry um, of of kind of individual breakthroughs, isn't it? You know, our, 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 the few stitches that we have as individuals and as families are kind of merged together to make, uh, uh, to make a kind of a tapestry that's, you know, not just for this church, not just for this region, but, you know, globally. It's part of that global tapestry. So what does, what does breakthrough, when I say breakthrough, what does breakthrough mean to you? What does it mean to you? Who does it mean to you? Who are the people you've been praying for for years? Where does it mean to you? Where, where, you know, what places where you're working or where you go, places that you've been praying for? What does it mean to you? You know, what, what kingdom breakout is it for you? Is it in business? Is it in politics? What's God saying to you? I love this saying that they have at the King's Arms. They say, what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? What's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? You may say, well, I don't know. I'm not sure there is a call on my life. And I want to encourage you that there is. There is definitely a call on your life. There's a call to pray. There's a call to love people and serve others. There's a call to show people Jesus. There's a call to heal the sick. There's a call to go into the world. There's a call to bind up the broken hearts. Call to release the, the prisoners and comfort the mourning. And, uh, you know, they're general calls for us all. And I'd encourage you, start pursuing those things and trust God for the specifics. So, what I want to do today is I want to speak on Elisha because I feel like we're on the cusp of this, this breakthrough. We've been promised, um, we've been promised breakthrough. There's, there's something more for us as individuals. There's something more for us as a church. But we need to respond to that. There's a choice. There's a choice in how we respond. How we weigh it. And, um, so I want us to look at Elisha. He's a man on the, on the kind of verge of breakthrough. He's a man that was called by God. He was hungry for God's spirit and he refused to settle down. He refused to stop running. He refused to settle. He pursued God until he broke through into what God had for him.
So the passage that we're looking for, looking at is um, 2 Kings 2, um, 1 to 14. Oh. So it's up there for you. Right, so I'll read it. Um, 2 Kings 2, verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Eli- Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, as you do, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. So Eli- see, this is um, the day where Elijah is being taken up to heaven, and Lord's told it that Lord God's told him to go to Bethel, and he says to Elisha, Day off, stay here. I mean, I don't know how much you know about Elijah and Elisha in terms of their relationship, but Elijah was the man of God, the man of power for the hour um, in Israel at that time. And um, he'd seen amazing breakthrough. He'd um, seen fire come from heaven. He'd seen revival in the nation. All of the nation turned back to God. They saw the fire from heaven. They said, oh, the Lord, he's God. We're going to worship him. We're going to stop worshiping these idols. Um, He'd seen that. But then he'd been threatened by Jezebel, the the queen, who said, I'm going to kill you. And he'd done a runner. Um, And then he'd met God um, in a cave. And he'd said, look, I've had enough. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm depressed. I've had enough. I'm worn out. I can't go on anymore. I just want to die. And God had, had, had said to him, well, I've got a few jobs for you yet. You've got to anoint Jehu, king of Israel. You've got to anoint um, uh, Hazael, king of Aram. And you've got to anoint Elisha, this guy Elisha, to take over as prophet from you. So Elijah went, found Elisha, did a bizarre thing where he whipped him I think he kind of put his, his cloak over him, but I always imagine it like one of those um, towel whips. Whips him with his, ta- with his cloak. And, um, and Elisha knows what that means. Elisha knows, this means I've got to follow you. This means I've been called. I, you know, I've got a calling on my life. And Elisha says, great, I'm coming. And Elijah says, what did I do to you? He was kind of, for some reason, didn't, you know, he wasn't so enthusiastic. But Elisha followed Elijah. And, um, and, and, and what the Bible tells us in a later verse is that Elisha poured, the, poured water on the king's hand, on Elijah's hands, which basically meant he was, he, he was Elijah's servant. He served Elijah. He carried his bags. He washed his feet and, all, and did all of the, the menial tasks. But he didn't mind because he was following that call on his life. And um, for some reason, though, at, the, at this point, at the point where Elijah is about to be taken up to heaven, at the point where Elisha's call, the call on Elisha's life is about to kick in, for some reason, Elijah says, you can stop, you can stay here, you can settle down. And we don't know why. We don't, it doesn't tell us why Elijah said that. Maybe it was Elijah, Elijah's own personal um, struggles, that he was still feeling depressed, that he was still feeling overwhelmed. Maybe he didn't want, maybe he knew what the, co- the cost that was involved, and he, and he didn't want that for Elisha. Maybe he was dismissive of, of, of Elisha. Who knows? We don't know. But many of us here maybe feel like that. Many of us feel like we've been dismissed or overlooked. Um, for whatever reason, people haven't seen what God's put in us. We, you know, people haven't recognised what God's done in us or the call that, that's on our lives. And that can, be a, that can be a temptation for us to give up and to stop, to stop running. Um, you know, there were lots of people in the Bible who were dismissed. David was overlooked by his own dad. His dad even forgot about him. Have you got any more sons? You know, one of your sons is going to be king. It's none of these. Oh, and he's, oh yeah, oh, there's David. He's out in the fields. I forgot about him. You know, we, 
You may have felt um, dismissed or overlooked, but God um, doesn't forget. God doesn't forget what he said. He doesn't forget the call that's on your life. And Elisha's response is this. As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Elisha says, no way, Jose, I'm coming with you. I'm not stopping here. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know. Keep quiet. Shut up. Stop going on about it, he says. Um, and there's another, there's another sermon in there about prophetic sensitivity, I'm sure. But, um, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you not know today the Lord will take your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know, keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So we see three occasions, three times, where Elisha is given the opportunity to stop, where he's given an opportunity to settle. Three places, and I want us to look at those three places now, um, and their relevance to us. Because we have a call, we have a calling, but that breakthrough is a choice for us, and um, we need to be wise about pl- the places, you know, where we may be tempted to settle. But what I don't, what I want to say is that this isn't a kind of pull your socks up message. It's not kind of you must try harder, you must run faster. Our strength comes from waiting on the Lord. Um, you know, we run and we don't grow weary because we wait on Him, because we're um, nourished by His presence. Um, I loved what Joe said last week. He said, truth, he said, truth produces hope, which produces action. And uh, the same is true, promises produce faith that produce power. So it's in that place of truth, in that place of, of, of knowing his promises, that we have faith and we have power to run. So, w- and uh, what we'll look at at the end is also what enabled Elisha to kind of, uh, to, to pursue God and to keep going. Okay, so the first place that um, Elisha is, is invited to stop is a place called Gilgal. So I think there's, there's um, the place they, that, they, that archaeologists believe is um, the Gilgal, this Gilgal of the building, and they've excavate, excavated a number of stones from there. And those stones, I don't know if you know, those stones were taken from the bed of the Jordan. So when the Israelites crossed over, over the Jordan into the Promised Land... God said, in order to cross over, God stopped the waters. As the priest carried the ark into the water, the waters stopped, a bit like the Red Sea, and there was dry land, and the people of Israel were able, able to cross over into the promised land. And God said, as you're going over, I want you to pick up 12 stones, one stone for each of the tribes of Israel. Carry them over, and then when they got to the other side, they camped in this place called that became that was called Gilgal, that was named Gilgal, and God said, set up those stones to remember. So Gilgal is a place of remembrance. And um, remembering is a good thing, isn't it? God obviously commanded them to set up the stones for a reason, so that they would remember what he had done in them, to remember what he had done through them. Um, you know, um, 
remembering's good. I, I mean, I, I like, bi- I love biographies. I like to read about the heroes of the faith in the past. Um, but remembering, we remember the past in order to kind of empower us for going forward, don't we? In order to empower us for the future. You know, Habakkuk's prayer, where he says, I've heard about your fame. I've heard about the deeds that you did in the past. Renew them in our day. It's kind of saying things don't add up, Lord. I've heard about what you did in the past. I don't see them now. In fact, I see the opposite. Renew your power, renew your deeds in our day. Remembering gives us confidence to go forward and it produces faith to pursue him for more. That's why we often share stories, don't we? And, and ask for stories of what God's done because it produces faith. But there is a way of remembering which can lock you into the past. A nostalgia with kind of rose-coloured spectacles. Um, especially, I think, as someone who is approaching middle age. <laughs> you know, when you get to middle age. I mean, I don't, I don't know when, when does middle age begin? Because it depends who you ask. If you ask people in their kind of 20s, it's in your mid-30s. If you ask people in your 30s, it's in your 40s. Um, if you ask people in your 40s, it's their 50s or 60s. So I'm not sure what the the definitive answer is, but I know with myself, getting to a certain age, I love the programs where it says, you know, programs about, um, you know, cartoons from the 80s or, you know, toys from the 70s, and you think, oh yeah, I had one of those. And there's, there's a shop around the corner from us called I Had One of Those, and it sells old gifts. We, we like a bit of nostalgia. We like to think about the good old days, but we have to be careful. Um, you know, there was a, there was a time when Israel came out of slavery, they came out of Egypt, they were in the desert, and they said, we want to go back. Why do you want to go back, Israel, to slavery? Because we had cucumbers and we had garlic in Egypt. You want to go back to slavery for your cucumbers and your garlic. We have to be careful that we don't look back and say, actually, it was better back then when we had cucumbers and garlic. Maybe your life hasn't, hasn't followed the trajectory that you thought it would. You know, look at Elisha's situation. Called to be the prophet, the big man, and he's washing you know, Elijah's feet. But I didn't stop him pursuing his call. You know, Paul's clear, actually. There are things we shouldn't remember. He says, forgetting what is past. He tells the Philippians, look, you know, I had things to my credit. I was a Pharisee. I knew the Bible inside out. You know, I'd been taught by one of the top scholars. I had things to my credit. But I have to forget those. They're rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And he, he also had to forget that the fact that he was, by all accounts, a murderer. You know, that he had helped to round up and kill the, 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 the Christians. But he's saying forgetting what is past. You have to forget sometimes and you have to strain for what is in the future. So maybe um, maybe Gilgal is somewhere where you have been tempted to settle. Maybe it's somewhere you have settled. Um, camping in the past. Reliving the past. Maybe it's things you've done in the past that you can't forgive yourself for. People you've hurt. Mistakes you've made but it's time to look forward again and to move forward from Gilgal, um, forward into the purposes of God for your life. Do you know that no charge can be brought against those who God has justified? There's no condemnation. Jesus himself intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. Do you know that? Jesus himself. People might talk you down. Other people may not have forgiven you, but Jesus is talking you up. He intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. He's talking you up in the Father's presence. So it's the time to expect great things from God again and to stop arguing with Jesus because Jesus said it's finished. Mm. The next place that we see Elisha is um, 
tempted to stop. There's no slide for this one, I don't think. Um, the next, the next place that Elisha is is tempted to stop is Bethel. I don't know. Do you know Bethel in the history of Israel? It was the place where Jacob saw his ladder, the famous Jacob's famous ladder that he saw this vision of angels going up and down to heaven on this ladder. It was the place where he said basically God was in this place and I didn't know it. I didn't even realize it. God was in this place. It's a place where there's the, you've got the presence of God, and we want the presence of God, don't we? We want the presence of God. We love the presence of God. We crave the presence of God here. And, you know, Steve Chittick, another Steve, preached a a, a blinding sermon on um, Moses' cry. Show us your glory, Lord. Show us your glory. We want to see you. Don't send us up from here um, if your presence doesn't go with us. But that's the point. His presence goes with us. His presence goes with us. That there's a temptation to stop and to settle in his presence. You see that with Peter, don't you? When Peter and James and John, Jesus said, you know, you come with me up this mountain, they climbed up a mountain, and it says Jesus was transfigured before them. He, he, you know, something of his glory, his heavenly glory, kind of appeared on earth. It said his face shone, his clothes um, went whiter than white. Um, and Elijah and, and, and Moses were there talking to him, and Peter's response was, it's so great that we're here because we can build shelters for you. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, you know, that was Peter's response was great. The presence of God is here. Right, we need to build some, we need to build some, uh, shacks that you can stay in some tents maybe and we can stay here and we can get conferences. We can get delegates up. You know, we can, we can have a conference here. And that's the danger when we have the presence of God that you stop and then you say, right, you build a conference around it and you, do you know what I mean? And, you, and it becomes the focus when actually the presence of God is to go with us. You know, you look at Pentecost, Jesus said, um, when the Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth had come to Jerusalem at that time. People from all nations were there and, and they, they, they saw what was going on. But the point wasn't that you know all nations come in. It was in that, 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 um, that the presence of God would then go out and fill the earth. Because that's the promise, isn't it? That the, 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 the glory of the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Basically all of it. And I think actually this is probably one of the dangers for us. You know, that it's a danger for us as a church. That actually, you know, we experience the presence of God and uh, it's great for us, but there's almost like a Zulu mentality. You know that Zulu mentality, oh, we're in here, it's nice for us Christians in here, and they're, they're bad, the, the baddies are out there, and we're surrounded by them, and so we're going we're gonna to put up the barricades, and we're going to have a great time in God's presence here. And, and I pray God breaks that mentality in us, the Zulu mentality, because actually, the power of God, the presence of God is here, so we can take it out. Take it out into the shops, take it out uh, into our offices, to our families, to the pubs and the clubs to the job centre, everywhere we go, every place where we set foot. It's scary out there. It is scary out there. I'm, I, you know, my, my, you know, as, you know, hands up. It is scary out there. It's scary going out and taking God's presence and, and talking to people about Jesus. It can be, it can be scary. Um, and it can be messy in here. Um, but the cross was scary and messy. The cross was scary and messy, and Jesus um, scorned that. He scorned the shame of the cross for the joy set before him. 
And um, I think for us, it's a time of joy, a joy in in um, joy in seeing, you know, the lost brought in and the, and and people saved. Okay, so the and then the next place where Jericho and um, where I, Elisha was um, kind of invited to stop was Jericho. And um, Jericho is quite a famous place in the Bible. And it's the last opportunity um, Elisha's given to stop. Jericho, for the Israelites, was a place of victory. When they crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land, it was the first place they came across, and God said, march around for seven days and then blow your trumpets, and the walls came down miraculously. There was no way they were going to conquer Jericho except for the power of God. Um, but one, when God, God said, when you conquer Jericho, what I want, want you to do is, everything in the city belongs to me. You can't have it. It's not about plunder. And the, the gold and the silver in Jericho goes into my, into my tabernacle. It belongs to me. It belongs to, belongs to God. Um, and everyone did that except for one person called Achan, who decided that he liked the gold, he liked the silver, and he took some of it and he buried it under his tent. And the and the, the 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 kind of the third place where where we can be tempted to settle or that can help stop us from moving forward is hidden sin, hidden sin, sin that's been kind of buried in the ground under our tent. In fact, it's the devil's number one strategy to kind of to to cut us off off from God. It's to, and to send us hiding like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, Adam and Eve they hid from God um, when they were well, after they had eaten the fruit um, because they were ashamed. And shame is the weapon of, of the devil's choice in terms of, of keeping us, um, keeping us from God and, and, and sending us into hiding from Him. And shame is a product of sin. But sin's defeated, so therefore shame is no longer relevant to us. Shame is an empty gun. We've got a picture of Dirty Harry up there. You know, he says, I don't know how many bullets I've got left. I might have one. Do you feel lucky, punk? You know that? That famous saying? Do you feel lucky, punk? He's saying, I, he's saying, I don't, he doesn't know, he couldn't remember how many shots he's fired. But, but for the devil, his gun, the devil's gun is empty. And he points it at us and he says, you should be ashamed of yourself. But the truth is that shame, it does, is nothing to do with us anymore. We've been set free from shame because we've been set free from sin. James 5 says, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one, uh, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If they, if they, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. They've, they're already forgiven. Sins already dealt with. Therefore, confess. Confessing comes after. Confessing isn't part of the ritual to get clean, to get free from sin. You can confess freely. You can confess without worry, without shame, because we're already forgiven. I love, um, in, in Ephesus. You know, when people, you know, those people got saved in Ephesus. And what did they do? They had a huge bonfire. And they brought out all of their magazines from under their bed, all of their DVDs, all of the things that they should have been ashamed of. They brought them all out and they chucked them on the, the bonfire. And the bigger the bonfire, the bigger the flames, the greater the glory to Jesus for what he'd done in that city. For us, we don't have to be ashamed. This should be a safe place. A safe place. Um, to, 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 to have those relationships where we can be honest about, you know, where we're at. Honest about sin in our life. We don't have to be, um, we don't have to be, 
um, held back. We don't have to be almost taken prisoner by by sin because of shame. I love you know the story of the woman caught in adultery that they throw at Jesus' feet, and Jesus says, and they say we're going to stone her. You know they want Jesus to give them the thumbs up. They're trying to trap him, and he says, no, you who you who have no sin, throw the first stone. That's the culture we need to have here. You know, if you confess, you know, that's not a stone that you're giving to someone so they can beat you over the head with it. No. We've all got, we've all got sin. None of us can throw stones. I love that. Jesus doesn't condemn us, so who are we to condemn each other? He does tell her to leave her, her life of sin behind, but, you know, there's no condemnation. And I love the fact that all the hypocrites that had come, that wanted, to see her stoned. You know, it says one by one they all kind of sidled off while Jesus was writing on the ground. No, you know, we, we have to create an atmosphere here, an atmosphere of love and honour and um, that's free from shame that just hypo- hypocrisy can't stand it. Hypocrisy will, will have to kind of sidestep, you know, to the back and, and, and sneak out the door. So confession isn't legalistic. Accountability, you know, if you if you if you say oh, I want to be accountable, but I, I'm not going to do that because you know Darren might ask me about it. That's legally that's legalism. If you're doing something for Darren, don't don't do it for Darren. Do it for Jesus. Do it for Jesus, for, and forgive as well because we've been forgiven. Jesus doesn't condemn you, so neither can we. So this is a place um, free from shame, and let's not have any. Hidden sin holding us back, stopping us from moving forward. Okay, so that's the place where Elijah was um, invited to settle. How are we doing for time? Um, let's just look quickly at Elijah's breakthrough. So verse 7, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. So they've got to the Jordan, um, and, and Elijah's still there. Um, as, they, as they both were standing by the Jordan... Verse 8, then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water, and the water parted to one side and the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took off his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan and he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted from one side to the other and Elisha went over. Elijah, get, Elisha gets his breakthrough. Elisha asked for Elisha's answer, what can I do for you? Elisha's answer is, I want what you've got. I want what you've got. I want to know God. I want to have more of his spirit. I want to hear his voice. I want to know that he's with me. I want to do the stuff. I want to you know, raise the dead and heal the sick. 
He understands the call on his, on his life. That's what he, what he asked for. But we also have to look at how he asks. How he asks. He asked for a double portion. And as many of you will probably know, the double portion is the inheritance of the first son. It's a, it's the first son's, the firstborn son's inheritance. So Elisha's, and then that's why you get that cry, my father, my father. And he tears his clothes. The agony, the agony of losing his father, his spiritual father. You know, he's not, he's not, he's not just saying, get out of the way, old man. It's my turn. You know, he's, he's, he's hurting. He's lost his father. The cloak that he picks up is a sign of his inheritance. The cloak isn't full of power. It's not a magic cloak that can make water part. It's a sign of the fact that he has received that inheritance that he asked for. The inheritance of the first son. The, the, the double portion. Power isn't something external that we pick up. Power is in us. Your power is in you. Because of who you are. Because you are in Christ. The power is in you. Because you're co-heirs with him. And what I want to say is that breakthrough, this breakthrough that we're going to see into our communities, if it's not founded on the Father's love, on that, on that relationship with the Father, it can be a very, it's a very dangerous prospect. Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. We looked recently, didn't we, at the, at the prodigal, story of the prodigal son, the two sons, and, um, and we, we were blessed by hearing it twice, so it must have been important for us. But you've got the younger brother, who, who's, who was the kind of, get out of my way, old man, I wish you were dead, give me what's mine the kind of Absalom figure in terms of undermining his dad. And he had the older brother, who was a son, but he lived like a slave. It was all about his performance. He felt that the father owed him because of what he'd done. And, um, you know, that sense of competition. He didn't want the younger son to come back because the younger son was competition. And if we... In order, like, if we're going to move forward and we're going to see more of God, we're going to see more of His presence, see more of the miraculous, see more salvation, actually we need to do that from that place of, of relationship with the Father. Otherwise, we're in danger uh, of it being competitive, of having our own insecurities, um, get in the way. It's just, yeah, I really feel this is serious. I see, uh, you know, this is a serious challenge for us. Um, my, my, myself, I was... Um, I was driving up to Sunderland a few weeks ago and I felt God convict me, convict me, Holy Spirit convicted me very powerfully that I'd been critical of someone in the church. Um, and, I, and, that, and he showed me actually, um, to the extent I, just, I was laughing because I saw how ridiculous I'd been in terms of I'd been critical of someone in the church again and again. And um, as, I, as, I, as I kind of prayed about that, I realised it, it came from this um, older brother heart of, you know, um, it was it was it was a kind of competition, insecurity, not being secure in my position as a son, and um, it led me to be critical and judgmental. And you'd be glad to know I, I went and I and I saw that person and was able to kind of um, reconcile with them and apologise to them. But I just it was it's it's so serious for us. It's so serious for us if we're going to move forward and we're going to do it in a way we're going to do it in grace and in love then it needs to be from that secure place. 
that secure place of, the, of, of knowing our, um, our sonship, our daughtership. Otherwise, we'll, um, we won't be able to love one another more highly than ourselves. You won't, we won't be able to put each other's um, interests above our own. It will be very hard to, to, to encourage others to run faster and further than you. Um, if you, you know, from that place of insecurity and, and competitiveness. I don't have to climb on others to elevate myself. My value is the fact that I'm a son. My position, I'm a child of God. My security is in my adoption. And, um, you know, go back and listen to the talks on the prodigal son if you want, if you've missed those. Our attitude should be like Jesus, Paul says, who humbled himself, um, in order to lift us up. Oh yeah, it's got the picture of the, I just love this, I love, do you remember this advert? The Volkswagen advert, I think was, they made for the Super Bowl. And it's the, uh, the little boy in his Darth Vader costume. You know? Anyone remember that advert? And basically the, adv- the, the advert is this, the little boy's going around the house and he's trying to use the force. He tries to control the dog and the dog just walks off and he, he tries to, um, I don't know if he's trying to zap with lightning the, the, the doll or whether he was trying to levitate it or whatever. And he goes around the house, he tries to make the, the treadmill work and nothing works and he's, and he's, and he's kind of sitting at the table like this. And then dad comes home in his Volkswagen and he goes running out and, um, he starts doing this to the car and dad's in, in the background pressing the key and the lights are flashing. So the little boy thinks, he's looking around saying, I did it. Dad, I did it. I've got the power. You know, I've got the force. The force is with me. You're not seeing that. It's a great, Google it. But, um, he's saying the force is with me and the dad and the mum are like la- kind of laughing at, with each other because they're pressing the, the key, he's pressing the keys and the little boy thinks, but it's like that. You know, we're, you know, who are we? Who are we? We're, we're little kids in a, in a Darth Vader costume waving our hands around. Actually, but the Father has the keys and He's invited us to participate with Him in His kingdom and, um, His kingdom breakthrough. And, um, so let's, let's, you know, let's just bear that in mind before we get too, um, uh, hung up on, on who we are and, you know, what we deserve and, um, get, get start attacking each other. Um, Jesus' example was, I do what I, what I see the Father, you know, I do, I do what I see the Father doing. And he said to us, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So, there's an angel of breakthrough that has been assigned to us, Jubilee Swally Hole. The Lord's heard our prayers. He's heard our Habakkuk prayers. When we've prayed, Lord, we don't, it's not, this doesn't match up with what we expected. It doesn't match up with what we've read in your word. Um, you know, this just doesn't add up. Renew your, renew your deeds in our day. Renew your power in our day. He's heard those prayers. He's assigned us a breakthrough angel. We're on the cusp of something. I believe that. On the cusp of something for our, our, our children. It's for our friends, for our family for our colleagues at work, for areas around. Has God put an area on your heart? It's for Chelmsley Wood. It's for the Muslims and the Sikhs around us. It's for the businessmen and women. He's heard our prayers for this nation and for the world. He's heard our prayers for Palestine and Israel. But have you settled or are you in danger of settling? At Gilgal, in the past, are you living in the past? Past victories, living in the past past failures? Have you settled at Bethel, the presence, so focused on the presence, but scared to go out, scared to take his presence out? Or at Jericho, 
is a hidden sin under the tent. Shame is an empty gun. You can dig it out and move on. Are you ready for future victory? Are you ready for increased presence? You know that river that flows from the throne of God going out gets deeper and deeper as it goes out. Are you ready to live out a culture that's completely alien to that of the world around us? Where there's unity that comes from authenticity, that comes from honour, that comes from love for one another, that comes from our place as, as children of God. The Bible says, then people will know, Jesus said, then people will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Do you need a fresh experience of the Father's love? Do you need a fresh touch from the Father? Fresh sense of security in him. He's got the keys.